Hey, all you kids out there. Welcome to Three Feet High and Rising. How are you doing, contestants? I oh, want to be on a game show so bad. It's unbelievable. Tiny boy. Fellas, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Contestant number one. Uh, I never thought I'd make it into a hip-hop skit. Okay, then. Contestant number two. Uh, my favorite movie is Bloodsucking Freaks, and I want to win all the money. I want to win all the money. Okay, now that we've met our contestants, let's get to the game. I'm going to ask four questions, and you'll both try to answer them correctly. Okay, here we go. How many samples are there on De La Soul's first two albums? What semi-legendary 1960s band kick-started the sample wars and pissed all over the good time we were having back in the late 80s? Is Tommy Boy evil or just caught in the crossfire of the band's reckless early creative decision-making? How does a legacy rap act age gracefully into the 21st century? Before we give away the answers, we'll be right back with a message from our sponsor. Welcome to Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. I'm your co-host, Joe Kennedy. Welcome to the podcast this week. This was a fun one, Dave. I, I enjoyed this trial quite a lot. How did you feel about it? I loved it. I loved it. This one has a crazy arc to it. And, um, you know, I was actually uh, listening to this artist on hearing aids because I really wanted to preserve especially for their sound, the bottom end. You want to explain why you listen to music on hearing aids? Because I own a pair, because I, I sell them. It's one of the 16,000 things that I do. Well, there's a more specific reason, because you could just put in AirPods or something, but you like the stealth factor of the... I do. I like the idea that I can listen to music and be conjoined with whatever's going on around me. The only problem is with discography... I'm really trying to hone in on what's going on so I can, you know, preserve my memories of the music. And so I'm nowhere near uh, the current reality that I'm ensconced in. Meaning you've got, uh, you know, you're, you're, you don't want to hear outside world. You want to be, you Meaning want I got filtered into, out. I got into several arguments with my wife when she thought I was having a conversation <laughs> with her. <laughs> So then I started experimenting by just playing it out loud on my phone wherever I went. I, you know, this is a, it's a trial by well, fire. Well, this is a hip hop related trial. It so really is. You need, you need, you need, you know, you need that, you need that low end. You, you do, know. and I was using molds. You can't just listen on. I your was phone. actually using molds, which yeah. completely occludes the ear canal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this is this is, a, this is very fancy ear talk you're doing. Here. It is. It is. This is a it, uh, turned into an ear ear turned into an audiometric dissertation um yeah but you gotta have that you gotta have that low end man you gotta you, like, do. you gotta get uh you know, i recommend molds look the current reality i recommend like anyway. a, a pair of regular headphones. <laughs> i recommend total noise canceling headphones well, i have the i have the bose sound sport ones and those those sound pretty good i'm getting noise canceling ear surgery next week yeah, as long as you don't need to pretend that you're not listening to music. I think regular right, regular right. headphones is probably. I just am going to stop pretending that I, you know, am listening to people. Right. But Joe, I'm not going to pretend that I'm not listening to music. So anyway, the big reveal. Tonight's episode of Discography will be turning our spray cans on De La Soul. Right. Hip hop's uh, incorrectly labeled hippies who then had to spend a lot of time um, shedding the hippie label. Um, and then, um, you know, had a spectacular run of records. And became streaming service anathema. <laughs> right. So, so, I don't, so, Joe, I know, you know, where, where you were growing up, which was in Florida, right? Yes, South Okay, Florida. so I was in Jersey. And my, my friends, we honestly were not incredibly hip-hop centric. But at that point, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, growing up as an <clears throat> 18-year-old, 19-year-old, De La Soul were it for me. I mean, that was the main thing hip-hop-wise for me. Yeah, I first heard them. I first heard Three Feet and Rising, their first record. I worked at a record store in, um, in 88 and 89, so I was 16, 17 years old. 
So I kind of remember every record th- that came out in those years. What was the most popular thing in the cutout bin at that time? And I don't know about in the cutout bin, but the one record that was played in the store incessantly was that Edie Brickell jam. Okay, I like, first, I like Little Miss the S with a mini dress. The first Little Edie Brickell joint. I still know every note the of The second that song is the only good song. There's also this Water Boys record that was out then that people were hella into at that record shop. That was I love the lot. idea that Paul Simon took her away from her career and snuffed out her candle of inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was um, responsible for. But I do remember this record being um, being a big deal at the time, and I remember it sent, really not sounding like anything else um, and uh, really standing out as something different. Um, and, I mean, uh, it was the Wild West at that time, so you could pretty much do anything, get away with anything. You had the Hank Shockley cut-ups uh, uh, of, of the of Public Enemy. You had, uh, you know, basically James Brown's catalog being ransacked uh, amongst Clintons as well and and uh, Slys. Um, you had. Uh, De La Soul, you had Beastie Boys, uh, everybody was grabbing and ripping wherever they could, and that didn't last for long. Yeah, De La Soul kind of beat everybody to the punch with the uh, with the collage style of production. Public Enemy was doing it a bit, but they kind of would build up more of these sort of terrifying soundscapes, and it was a layering kind of kind of kind of thing. Where De La Soul's approach on the, especially on the first three Prince Ball records, they were was naked. That, it wasn't yeah, a blanket, it was, it, right? It was a collage kind of more style, um, and they, you know, they beat, they basically beat Paul's boutique to the punch to the to the point where, when the Beastie Boys heard De- Three Feet High and Rising, they thought they might have to scrap Paul's boutique and start from scratch because they got kind of beaten to that. Uh, that I didn't know. Yeah, That's they got cool. kind of beaten to that punch on that. So yeah, um, that was definitely a Pet Sounds revolver sort of a. Uh, situation. First to the Zeitgeist wins the trophy. Um, these guys came together in the Amityville area of Long Island in New York uh, in 1988. So, um, you know, for those who are unfamiliar with them, these guys at the time were the antidote to a pretty hardcore rap style that was that was happening. Uh, they were sort of the colorful, uh, those you know, those really really bright colored. It's an antidote. Well, to I that. think I think a lot of that is sort of a misnomer, and that they felt that sort of right away. The, the way that their that Three Feet High and Rising, their debut album, was styled, the packaging, and the videos really like leaned into that. But the actual content of the music and their approach and what they are, that really wasn't a hippie thing at all. There's no like you know, let's all get together and you know, love one another kind of. You know, there, that's not really the message of the music. It's a lot more than right. that's a very reductive kind of way. But it's I think it, I think it actually probably springs more from Prince Paul's productions though. So Prince Paul was their producer on their first three records. The re- these are you know objectively their their best known work. What they're known for, and I think the playfulness. That lends itself to that "quote unquote," you know, the hippie vibe. Yeah, uh, comes from all his the collage of his samples, the tapestry. Yeah, and I think well, they, you know, they were part of. Um, you know, they, they were high school friends, and you know, they formed in high school, made a single. How's the news, Trugoy and Maceo? Right. Um, they, uh, you know, they they made a single that kind of got noticed pretty quickly. They kind of rose up through the ranks fairly quickly, and they got Prince and that was Plug Tunin. Right, Plug Tunin. There, the, uh, that was their big breakthrough single. I think it came out as like a twelve inch, and kind of was a hit locally in New York City. Um, and they were kind of, they were also part of um, a collective of rappers at the time, the, the Native Tongues Collective. The flagship artists were De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, but then you know also um, the Jungle Brothers, Queen Latifah, right. Black Sheep. I mean, yeah. Money Love was another one in there. Um, the Jungle Brothers were kind of the seminal uh, artists there. They kind of made the first record, their debut record, straight out of the jungle, is the first one that it's it's that kind of seems to coin that native tongues sort of sound. It has a kind of scruffy bedroom kind of quality to it. it has the sort of trademark heady lyrics. Um, it has a it has a real charm to it. I like that record a lot. In 1989, Three Feet High and Rising comes out, and that's what do you think? You think that's the flagship album of the the Native Tongues era? Yeah, sure. I mean, that was the it was massive commercially because it had one big hit single on it. And yeah, me, um, my, me, myself, and I, I you remember, it was on the radio. All yeah, sure. The time. It was a heavy MTV rotation, which was kind of like even better than being on the radio in those days. Um, so yeah, it, 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 they kind of achieved full saturation. I think they're still like teenagers when that song was, uh, I think they were all like 19, maybe 20 
when that song really took off and became it was pretty a massive hit. success right out of the gate. And then, uh, you know, pretty quickly after that, uh, they got slapped with a lawsuit. Yeah, you know, th- this was the days where uh, clearing samples was sort of a handshake agreement. You were supposed to still technically clear samples. But nobody really the 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 legal part of clearing samples was still a little bit murky. It was, it was there was not really a, an established kind of protocol. So you know on, on those early De La Soul albums, there's you know many dozens of samples. Some of them were in various states of being cleared or not cleared. They got permission for some. They got kind of handshake permission for others. Others they didn't really get permission per se at all. And this one particular track is called "Transmitting Live from Mars." It's, I would call it an interstitial track. It's not even really a song necessarily. Yeah, it's kind of a little link track thing. <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's two samples. It's uh, a an instructional uh, language instructional tape, and then over that is a composition that the Turtles recorded. That song is what they were sued over. The usage of that. It's a slowed down version of that track. Right. And that's why we can't have good things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I suppose this was going to happen one way or another. Um, you know, it was, there was, it was, that was kind of the lawsuit that kind of changed the direction of things a lot and, and created a lot of problems for De La Soul. But it was this problem that was going to need to be sorted out. It wasn't going to just be able to go on like that forever with that kind of Wild West of sampling era. But before they were hit with that, you know, the, the creative think tank of these three guys with their, with their friend Prince Paul is just unbelievable. I mean, the sampling... Well, when, if you don't have to worry about clearing samples, you have basically an, an infinite palette of things that you can use. But you had a guy producing who knew what was cool. I mean, I'm discovering still almost to this day uh, what some of these samples are. They're like landmines that blow up years later sometimes. But you got, I mean, Hall & Oates, Steely Dan, The Turtles, Johnny Cash, instructional language stuff, um, Sly and the Family stuff. It's, it's all over the map. Yeah. All over the map. So they were, yeah. So it was, it was basically Flo and Eddie of the Turtles, their lawsuit that was kind of the uh, that was kind of the backbreaking lawsuit. I, you know, on the one hand, they uh, they're the things. Some of the things they said at the time were were kind of old farty. They were kind of like you know, sampling isn't creating music. It isn't you know, it's it's just stealing other people's work. You know, that's. I don't think they really got it, you know, if they had maybe listened to this record and kind of tried to appreciate it. And the funny thing is, their song was a cover of somebody else's song. Right. It, wasn't, they, it was the master that they owned, not the publishing on it. Right. But um, I, at the same time, I can see their argument. You know, it's like, you should probably try to clear a sample. You should probably, you know, before you take something off somebody's record, you should probably try to make sure that they're cool with it or, you know. Well, uh, I just wish they knew that eventually you could just that music was going to be free, so it wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah, you might as well just make great known. records. Now, also in their defense, Flo and Eddie were one of the most screwed over, two of the most screwed over musicians by the industry. That's why they're called Flo and Eddie and not Mark Volman and Her- Howard Kalin. They lost the rights to use their own names. Oh, okay. As so the that... turtles dissolved, so they were they were they had gotten very badly screwed over. Um, this was not their first uh, lawsuit. Okay. All right. So now, now, now I'm conflicted. But in, in any sense, the music on on the record in in uh, on Three Feet High and Rising is simply unreal. I mean, there's there's almost nothing on it that isn't like staggeringly, staggeringly incredible. Um, you know, right from the get go. Uh, you know, the reason why we opened this show with a with a skit. Uh, is the first skit that was ever on a hip-hop record is at the head of this record. That's right. They invented the hip-hop skit. And it was a game show. For better or worse. That's right. That's right. And still, to this day, I have not heard better skits than De La Soul skits. Yeah, they really uh, worked them into the records. uh, Mainly this one and the next one. Yeah, in a very organic way that's kind of key to... um the to the sequencing of the records but right off the bat as soon as uh magic number hits with the descending bass line and the drums going batshit crazy you know what the drums are from what is that from? it's the crunch by led zeppelin right <laughs> oh yeah 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 that makes total sense yeah. okay um yeah the song is amazing um the songs keep coming you got i mean joe take it from here well, they, I, I like to talk for a second about their process. So this is also at a time when they, they did this record for a very low budget. They had um, not very fancy samplers. And uh, one of the ways they got around um, matching tempo and key of certain samples, that's one of the problems of your sampling is that not, you know, if you're layering a sample on top of another sample, it's, you, they're not necessarily in the same key. 
Don't you so just speed it up or slow it down? You speed up and slow it down, but now it's sped up. Now it may not sound like how it sounded Chip originally. Monkey. Yeah, or, or yeah, exactly. So they got around this by they had one key piece of gear. They had an even tied harmonizer, which which was kind of like uh, you know it, it's it was a pitch shifter, pretty sophisticated for its time. It's still people still use them today. But that allowed them to, um, they really, they use that in a very creative way to mix and match samples. So you, you can change the, t- the, with a harmonizer like that, you can change the pitch of a sample without changing the tempo. So you, if, if you want like, you know, the I can't go for that sample, if you want it at the same tempo, but the key doesn't work, you don't have to speed it up. You just change the pitch. So they use that in a very clever way. And they, they use that to get around a lot of, um, a lot of problems that uh, early sampling faced now nowadays you just do it all on a computer and it's it's very easy but it was kind of a painstaking job to get samples like this to line up and be in key and things like that and you had like super cool samples like on say no go they sample sly and the family stone but it's not uh it's not uh like you know everyday people or something that people would know it's crossword puzzle Right, which is an obscure song from High on You. Yeah, they're also it's not the records aren't just the it's the the crate digging culture of the time is also uh, you know Prince Paul's a master crate digger, all of them really. Like I think in, they were all the, change, and, and the three guys. Change in the band as well. and speak. You had uh, Simon's Bra, yeah, which is an amazing song. And yeah, it's something I discovered decades later. Yeah, this is a masterpiece crate digging record. It really is. I mean, and seriously, everything is incredible on it. Tread Water, Plug Tuning, Buddy, Me, Myself, and I, the single, obviously. I Can Do Anything, Daisy Age. There's really not a bad song on yeah, the whole Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of content on the album. It's, there's, it's very dense. There's a, there's a lot of surprises in it. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a rewarding repeat listens kind of album for sure. There's kind of always a new thing you're discovering in it. Even many years later still, I feel that way. It's an instant classic. When it came out, I knew I'd be listening to it and talking about it decades later. Definite five stars. Yeah, this is a clear five-star album, um, five-star record. Um, and as of right now, it's, it's, it, it had been out of the culture for so many years. Um, when music kind of switched over to the streaming model, it was um, unavailable because all those samples now that the even <laughs> because streaming is a new format, it was a gray area. To, they unwittingly fucked themselves. Yeah, it was it was gray area whether whatever clearances they had gotten for the for CD when it when it originally came out, it was unclear if all of those were going to um, pertain also to the streaming platform. Is it technically a new platform or? So it was it was in a gray area, and I think it was Warner, Tommy Boy, their label was distributed through Warner, and I think Warner didn't really want to open the can of worms. Okay, so moving forward, a couple years later, uh, they released an album called De La Soul is Dead, and on the cover of the album is a spilt pot of daisies uh, with, uh, with soil uh, on the ground. And so right off the bat, we, that's negation. Which, in the spirit of Sly and the Family Stone's riot, there's a riot going on. Um, it seemed like immediately, okay, this is not only a great band; this is a very interesting band. Yeah, I mean the the De La Soul, the the, the three members of De La Soul, um, they're very much to me like they're just they are always being themselves. They're not like huge, larger than life personalities. They're not like you know they're just kind of regular guys. Um, and they don't really take a stance of being like a character or some sort of larger than life thing. They're just kind of like, it, it, it's, it just comes, kind of comes across very natural who they are. They're kind of, they're uh, secure in their own, in their own skin. They're not yeah. like made, they're not like big into boasting or sort you know, they, they're kind of a reaction. I feel I, like they I get, that's I, the part of hip hop they're reacting against. I feel like, like they uh, get, uh, they get less secure as their career goes on. Yeah. But, I mean, more at, this, at, this, at this stage of their at career, at this stage, yeah. uh, they, they're in total command. And what's, in, what's always interesting to me is when a band starts with, uh, a, a sort of twist of the kaleidoscope on their own perspective of who they are as a band. Yeah, um, that's very interesting when it happens album by album by album. I also think the hippie thing. Like, you know, I kind of alluded to it before. It, it's it, it got to be a drag for them real fast. <laughs> yeah, it did not no, take they long hated for it that immediately. Yeah. And it was really nothing that came from their music so much. It, it even you know it's it was from the art direction mostly. Exactly, you know, it's, from the, it's from the way they were styled. Yeah, then you know. 
know, they famous the, they famously played on Arsenio Hall at the time. Um, you know, at the time Three Feet High and Rising came out, and Arsenio introduces them as introducing the hippies of hip hop, yeah. La Soul. I mean, Arsenio Hall was like the tastemaker of the time. It's hard to believe, but he was. So you know, he was, yeah. like, he was like the hip guy on TV at the time. So it, it, I think it just got extremely annoying and reductive to them. It, it, it is very reductive. They started getting treated like personally, like they were pushovers. You know, they they, they were they had to like kind of like fight some people <laughs> over, over it. You know, it, like it, it's it was a it definitely and, and combined and there's and there's, and defi- and there's definitely with, stuff on De La Soul is dead that addresses that. Yeah, head they on. talk about it directly in past the peas. Uh, there's that line, Ar- Arsenio dissed us, but the crowd kept, kept clapping. Yeah, right, that's in reference. To yeah, yeah, yeah. De La Soul is dead to me is my favorite hip hop album of all time. To me, it's the most interesting. The samples are so on point; it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, there's some songs that are just such a celebration of musical culture. I don't see it as theft or uh, even appropriation. It's, just, it's a celebration. Um, it's a very long album. It's definitely over long, uh, but I don't even care. The sprawl, it's kind of like the White Album. It just wouldn't be the same if you made it a single album, even though you're cutting away mm-hmm. some of the dross. But I'll, I'll tell you what I love about it. It, it, it just it feels like you're, it's one of those records where it feels like you're going to a universe somewhere. Like It, it yeah. exists in its own kind of space, in its own kind of temporal sort of space. And it just feels like you're kind of in a neighborhood walking around, eavesdropping on conversation. There's a kind of slice of life quality to it that is uh, it really is so much fun. Yeah, it's very immersive. It's the, the so sort of much slice fun. of life sort of style. Let's talk about the highlights. Okay, mm-hmm. so first of all, the intro, the skit. Mm-hmm. Um, I still were, use the word cocksnot all these years <laughs> later. The skit is the best skit in hip hop history, I believe. Yeah, it's the, the, this one. The, there are some songs that are kind of like part song, part skit on this record, where they're kind of mm-hmm. blurring the line of them. You know, like, like uh, the Biddies, Biddies in the, in the B- BK, BK Lounge segment. That's and, uh, but that's like one of the greatest hip hop. That's one of the greatest rap songs of all time. Yeah, it's, it's it really amazing. is. The middle of that song. This is a great example of how much fun this fucking record is. In the middle of this awesome male female diss track, um, there's a mid song kazoo and diss breakdown. Uh, and then that whole Maceo, what goes on, Coda? Mm-hmm. Maceo, what goes on? Maceo, <laughs> what goes on? I don't know. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Let's talk about Oodles of O's, mm-hmm. right? Talk one. about Hey Love, Peace Porridge. My favorite of all time by them is Roller Skating Jam named Saturdays. Yeah, so that has a lot going on in it. That, a lot. That seems like that should have been a big smash hit single, and it kind of wasn't. That seemed like that had the potential to be like the net. It's, it's, I think, a, a, a superior and more interesting track to me, myself, and I. Um, I think it's their best song. It, well, it's, it's, it has the one thing I love in it. It has what's called the baby scratch. The baby scratch is sort of like the, the first scratch you learn to do on a, turn, on a turntable. The baby scratch itself that's in Roller Skating Jam is, uh, is, uh, is such a hook. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the king of baby scratches. Um, that song is so incredible. It really is. And, and it is top heavy. I mean, the first half of the record is just loaded with classics. The other and thing that seems, before we get off that track, the other thing that seems like complete alchemy to me, then I don't even know how you, they managed to pull it off, but the main, the main uh, form, the main loop section of uh, roller skating jam called Saturdays is it's made of two samples that fit together. Just like such a perfect glove. It's the drum loop is from a tower of power record. And the kind of Fender Rhodes loop that goes with it, it's just hard to imagine that those came from two different sources because they fit together like beautiful, so beautifully, so perfectly. But that's from a uh, that's from a tune called "Evil Vibrations" by something called the Mighty Riders. Huh, never um, even heard of it. It's just so such a thing of beauty the way they work together um, and the kind of magic that a, a master crate digger can can create by to finding those things that that work well together. To like me, that. it all, it all peaks here. I mean. Uh, <laughs> When this came out, I, it was the only thing I listened to. Mm-hmm. Um, I still listen to it. It's you know right. It's thirty years later. Mm-hmm. Still listening to it. Still thinking it's amazing, and still its vibe and its you know the feel of it yeah. uh, is to me unique in hip hop history. Yeah. There's one other tune I, I just have to mention because I love it so much, which is Afro Connections at a high five in the eye of the hoodlum. <laughs> it's a send up of a uh, gangster rap, and it, it's it's just right on the money. It's very funny. Um, Paz's verse in that is just a tour de force. Um, 
really uh, mace even gets in on the action on this one mace it's the two mcs are generally uh News and drew or the dove later known as dave which by the way is the best mc name of all time dave, dave. <laughs> yeah and it goes to show you they that he chose the name dave as his mc name is that they're very comfortable with who they are they're not right. trying to be anything else other than who they are um i love that he's just dave yeah That's <laughs> i love favorite. that i'm just dave for this one i'm da- i'm no not that question. impressed that you're just dave <laughs> you're such a prick all right i'm but, gonna uh, get- but afro connections mace, mace is the turntablist of the band and he's he's a very skilled turntablist he's kind of uh he doesn't get his due sometimes but um very deft on on the turntables and uh, but he gets a nice verse in on um, afro connections as well this one uh, unquestionably five stars, and this gets my best album award. Uh, there's no question about it. This is a five star record. Yeah, easy five stars for me too. Um, Make sure you go to discography.com because the playlist is going to be very heavily populated for, uh, with tunes from Three Feet High and Rising and De La Soul. Is and there. I will say, in addition to our playlist, you know, we're, we're kind of plucking the gems off the playlist. But both of those albums, really the first three albums. Um, Really, you should really give those a listen, start to finish, too, because they're uh, they're masterpieces of sequencing. The way those records are sequenced is a really big part of the. And magic. just to do you a favor, because we really there's no reason why we shouldn't be your one stop shop for all your music needs. Uh, we're going to put all three albums in their entirety on the playlist, uh, and then just cherry pick thereafter. Yeah, make there it easy go. for you. There you go. So uh, in 1993, uh, we have Balloon Mind State. Uh, which is the last record that they did with Prince Paul, the producer. Um, so this kind of marks, uh, you know, the end of an era. Uh, th- so this is 48 minutes long as opposed to 73 minutes long, which is what De La Soul is Dead was. Uh, and uh, it has a very different vibe to it. It's got a thick, dense vibe, which for me is very pleasing to be ensconced in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in their catalog, it's got a, a unique feel to it. Yeah. So De La Soul is Dead um, was not a commercial smash. It was sort of like, uh, I think it was viewed as a, as a disappointment commercially, kind of much like uh, Paul's Boutique, where it's a record that's looked back, uh, it's looked on now as a timeless classic, but it, it didn't really, it wasn't really appreciated that way at the time. It was a dud. Yeah. Paul's Boutique was a, was a failure. So Balloon Mind State, when that comes, in, when that comes out, um, it's in that sort of context where they've sort of had... The debut album, Breakthrough Smash. The second album, the even headier concept album, doesn't do as well. So Balloon Mind State's the I, third. They were almost seen as like has been at the time. I remember Balloon Mind State came out. There was no excitement behind it. Right. That's true. None. So, um, but I mean, looking over the uh, the track list, I mean, you got Eye Patch, Patty Duke. Um, these are amazing songs. I'd be blowing. Now we're entering into jazz territory. Yeah. The uh, Blue Mind State is more conventional song oriented. It's not like the kind of like hallucinogenic world that you go into, like the first two records. It's more of like a kind of a sequence of songs. But I think I feel like those songs, the, the couple bits in the middle, the um, the Maceo Parker thing and um, Long Island Wilden, which is a, a Japanese rap group mm-hmm. doing a freestyle. And then it's uh, it segues into um, into a live tape of the of the old school rapper B- uh, Busy B, and then it kicks into kind of the next segment of the record. It seems like that kind of the, the, that's those are kind of essential little like link link pieces. And then the back part of the record has this uh, really dense naughty vibe to it. Uh, I am I B, which is a continuation of the 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 jazz that they're mixing into the stew and I'd be blowing mm-hmm. um, in the woods is great. Break of dawn has an Break amazing was was the lead smoky. Yeah. Uh, it's got a great smoky quiet storm. Uh, sample yeah, it's it. a Michael Jackson flip in that too. Um, uh, it's, it's, it, that's one of their best songs. It's a great it's single, great hip hop awesome. single, just yeah. sort of like a, and ego tripping ego tripping yeah. part two is awesome. This is a great record. Very unfairly overlooked. Uh, there's really nothing that I would even skip on this. To me, it's on the same level as the first two. They're not really chasing the trends. I think they're just kind of happy to be who they are. And it, it feels like a very free kind of uh, album where they're not really... Um, it feels like the creative think tank is overflowing with ideas still. Yeah, I, I got to give one... Uh, there's one line in the song, In the Woods. It's kind of deep in the record, that that song. 
but it has sort of the line that kind of sums up uh, where they're coming from more than anything else, which is, uh, fuck being hard, Pazdanus is complicated. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, you know, would you rather be complicated than be like, you know, at hard? T- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the time when I, I, remember- I know I'm much more complicated than I am hard. Yeah, I like to think that I'm hard, but mainly that comes from just being complicated. <laughs> but uh, at the time, I was driving across country, my very first cross country trip, and uh, I was in Phoenix, Arizona. And the day that Balloon Minds Day came out, I was so excited. I went to the record store and bought the cassette of it, and uh, I'll always associate it with that time. That's right. We're old. You're very old. All right. I give it an unquestionable five stars. I gave this four and a half because I feel like it's just a slight notch behind the first two, but four and a half is still pretty damn good. That's You're a very critical human being. Well, we'll see about that. (laughs) Okay. So this is kind of the end of their classic era. Yeah, so we haven't really talked too much about Prince Paul. Prince Paul is a little bit older than them. Um, He produced their first three records. they the, the the members of De La Soul also had a lot of input on those records as well, um, but the the sort of vision and style uh, the, the the it's you know those three records have are kind of different from everything else they did after. There's a distinct and they're different kind of, from each other. Too. Yeah, there's a distinct kind of fingerprint on those. On the that's the sort of the classic era. The, but the then Prince Paul the, era. the next year uh, they they did that Judgment Night soundtrack and they did that song Fallen which is awesome. To me, that's still part of their classic era. Yeah, that's a good song. It's groovy and funky as hell. Just for that song, I give that song five stars. Yep, agree. Five stars for uh, for that collab. So then Prince Paul flies the coop, okay? And then we well, start Well, what happened disc- was they were they had started to make another record with Prince Paul. The ne- Stakes is High it was also going to be made with Prince Paul. He delivered some tracks to them. And they were like, this isn't really quite right for what we're going for. I feel embarrassed. I didn't know anything about this. Yes. Yeah, so um, they ended up self-producing most of it. Um, but the original intent what was What happened? Do, was there, a, there was a falling out then? No, it wasn't even really a falling out. I think it was just strictly creatively. They didn't want to do another collage album. They didn't want to do another one in that style. Um, and they, they just had something different in mind. I think, it was, I think Paul himself was like, maybe I'm not the right guy for this. I don't think there was any animosity or anything there. I mean, so stakes is high. When you take out the underpinnings and rip De La Soul down to the studs, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you would agree that that's what stakes is high is. Let's take out the foundational underpinning and see if the raps can withstand. Because there's it, it, the, all the melodies, all the fun, a lot of that is taken away. Stakes is high is a darker, more serious record. Yeah, it's kind of a concept album. It's very, I mean, it's sort of the quintessential state of hip hop record or it's you know it's it's giving the state of the genre at the time 1996 hip hop is at a pretty uh, serious crossroads at this time the, the you know the major stars of gangster rap are are fully um, ascendant you know Tupac and Biggie are already the biggest thing in rap you know Snoop and Dre have been on the scene for a long time now but there's um, there, there's a lot of proselytizing on this record which is a turn off for me because <clears throat> you know, when you look at records like De La Soul is Dead, when you, there's so much fun in there. And I know, yes, they're not going to be everything to everybody every time out. But if I want De La, if I'm in the mood to listen to De La Soul, I don't want to hear something that's dark. Just as when I want to listen to The Stones, I don't reach for dirty work. Yeah. Well, it's not really that dark. Um, you know, it, 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 this is again a case, I think, where they're being kind of just being themselves. They had something they wanted to say. They had, you know, they they had a uh, this record definitely has kind of a mission statement to it. Um, I, I This is another one I think kind of gets misconstrued where it's, it's it was viewed as the like this is De La Soul taking a stand against gangster rap. But it's I don't think it's really quite that simple. Um it's sort of more taking a stand against like the commercialization of rap in general. Right, the, right, right. And the de-artifying of, of you know, they're, De La Soul are kind of traditionalists. Like, they have great deference to hip-hop history. I think it was important to them what hip-hop would become, and I don't think they liked the direction they saw it going in. On the first three records, every song basically was great. Uh, on this record, there's only four 
that I saw. I mean, unless you could think of any others, Super MCs is amazing. Long Long Island Degrees is awesome. Uh, it's so easy. Hot is awesome, and Sunshine is awesome. Those four will be on the Discograffiti.com De La Soul playlist. I I am I'm a big fan of the title track of this of the song Stakes Is High. That's another. That's a Jay Dilla production. It's the only one. His only production on the record. It's it's oddly buried at like it's like the seventeenth song on the album. That it's this is also this record also suffers from um, the uh, the it's being a product of the overstuffed CD, CD era. Age, yeah, um, there's it's seventy something minutes or something. So um, many hip hop albums are going to be consigned to the consignment. I mean, so many albums. Period. From mm-hmm. that time, you know, it's that was the age of like let's. Well, let's, it's let's spilling fill up. over now into playlists. I yeah, mean, you right. Know, you well, it's kind of it's kind of it's come so. back now on playlists. Yeah. Um, but um, this th- is this is a weak album. No, I think there's a lot of good material. I like about, I like probably six to eight songs on this. Um, maybe like half of it. I, I like, I, I like the title track a lot. Look, I'm just being critical here because at the time, I was very let down. I mean, I'm buying this stuff and it's expensive, and I was let down. I give it two and a half stars. I like this album better than you. I would. It's you. You could definitely cut twenty twenty five minutes out of it, and it would be a lot stronger. I give this three and a half stars. I thought about my opinions on this record a lot. I gave this. I probably put more thought into this. Like what I how this record made me feel than just about any of the other ones. I like it. Um, it's it's a it's a different kind of thing than the first three, and um, you know I, I probably would not go to it for repeat listens as much. But I do find it to be like a pretty good quality, uh, if but definitely over long. I'll yeah, say. so three yeah. and a half for me. So before we continue with their next record, uh, just of note, Prince Paul started releasing records around this time uh, in 1996. He had a record that he released called Psychoanalysis, What Is It? And then 1999, he had this sprawling epic called A Prince Among Thieves. I mean, this thing is, uh, I find it interminable. It's 77 minutes long. There's cameos by Cool Keith, Big Daddy Kane, Chub Rock, Biz Marquis, De La Soul, uh, Exhibit, uh, Chris Rock, RZA. It goes on and on. It's actually a concept album. I'm not even going to bother explaining the concept because it's very convoluted. But uh, for our purposes, De La Soul guest on the song More Than You Know, uh, which is probably my favorite tune on the record. And it is sampled for the Avalanche's This Flight Tonight. Um, I give the album two and a half stars. I know we're not rating Prince Paul, but five stars for the one De La Soul song. Yeah, I th- I kind of enjoyed it the the uh, the the, the hip hopra <laughs> that we're discussing. <laughs> the story was kind of actually sort of easy to follow, surprisingly, and there's some pretty funny bits in it. Um, it's it's very long. It's a, kind of a relic of a different era of the genre, but it's um it's ambitious. The cool Keith song is pretty great. He plays a song. He plays a character that's kind of like a a, a manic weapons dealer, and. Um, it's, it's always fun to hear uh, what, what Keith is up to. Um, it's, it's, it's very typically cool, Keith. I found it was one of the most sprawling, overlong things I've ever heard. Not, <laughs> not that it was terrible, but... The it, structure of it is it's like long skit, then song. Long skit, then song. So it's kind of almost like a screenplay kind of thing. It's pretty interesting. Um, the De La Soul song, and it's cool. I, I mean, I, I feel like the De La tune, and it's kind of like a four-star song, and it's like a three-star album or something. But, yeah, yeah. But um, it, it's, it, it's nice to see them towering over their context, which, you know, would yeah. soon not be the case whatsoever. But I, I enjoyed the record more than I thought I would. So then we move into really the lean years for them. Right. Would you agree? Yeah. So, so they're at this point, this is what, like 2000, 2000 or so. 2000. Um, so they signed a very long deal with Tommy Boy and owed Tommy Boy, I think, three more records at this point. Yeah, so what they were going to do is have a trilogy of records, and it was going to be something called Art Official Intelligence. So let's first talk about that title, because I have a problem with um, titles like that. Paul Westerberg is really adamant about having titles like that, where he does like like cutesy, clever, coy play on words. He's a a punster. Suicane gratification. (laughs) All shook down and art Mm. official intelligence. First off, not a fan of the title because every single one of these has a a colon than another title. So, Well, there's only two of them. 
There's only two. It was Every single one three. of them. It was supposed to be three, and they kind of go with the concept at the beginning of three. Well, the 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 tell on these records um, is that they they wanted to do all three in one year. They wanted to release them all like in Back one to year. the Future. Yeah, and and the third one was going to be a Maceo like turntable record. It seems like to me they were trying to run out the contract. You think so? I think so. They were, you're going to put three albums in a year. Like that's you know, normally you put out an album, you tour on it. Put so, out an album, you tour on it. This seems like they wanted out of that. I, I know they did want out of the contract with Tommy I'll Boy. I'll tell you for me. So, they had a lot of tension with Tommy Boy, who always wanted like big commercial hits from them. For the first thing I noticed when I went to, because I went to the record store and bought this thing, I remember where it was. I remember where it was when I listened to it, et cetera. And first thing I noticed was, holy shit, there's tons of guests on this album. Yeah, that, was, the kind past, of the, that was the trend kind of at the time. In the past, it was just like a closed-off think tank, and it was kind of about their friendship and the inclusiveness about their in-jokes. And now you got Redman, you got uh, Exhibit, Busta Rhymes, uh, Mike D and Ad-Rock from the Beastie Boys, um, Shaka Khan, and many others. So then I put on this this the CD, and first of all, the album is the the album cover is very imposing looking. It's not inviting, and immediately when I put it on, there's these super plain Jane raps without interesting music to carry it along. I immediately gave up up on them. I knew that they were for me finished as a as an ongoing concern where I would buy their albums. Yeah, well, the 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 tracks the the you kind of separate it into two things. The tracks are they're long gone are the the uh, kaleidoscopic dusty groove samples of the first three records. Even the sort of lean kind of hard harder street beats from Stakes is High are more interesting. This has a very like a kind of pristine like cold kind of sound to it. Um, it sounds like a lot of these, like a lot of the songs are built around little like motifs that are played on kind of keyboard presets. Like it, it doesn't sound like they really, you, there's not like a lot of cool samples that you spot on, on these. They actually sound absent. They, they sound like they're not on the record. Um, and and it, it, there's no songs. There's only tracks. Yeah. There's a lot of canned kind of sounds on this. I feel like, I don't know what the F happened well, to them. Also, I feel like these are kind of like, um, th- these are just sort of like uh, workman, like genre albums. This is like sort of, if you picked a, 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 like just representative off the shelf, kind of generic hip hop record from 2000, the production would be similar. And I got to say, I'm not... They're not shooting for innovation on this. They're definitely not. I mean, they're they're really falling back. It's a regressive album. It's very long. 66 minutes, this one. And I don't know about you. For me, not one standout track. There are a couple things I do like. Um, One is sort of a uh, a link track kind of tune, Words from the Chief Rocker, which uh, has my favorite cameo on it, the old school Bronx rapper, Busy B. Um, He sounds great on here. (laughs) Kind of like that tune. And I like the single, which is a Prince Paul production. Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, not a fan. That, that song has some flavor to it. That one avoids the pitfall of having the bad, um, like, canned kind of sounds. It's built, that one seems like it's built around samples. That kind of has a little bit more of their old flavor kind of uh, um, to it. But I, yeah, it's, it's, if, not, it's for the it's, purposes of this trawl, ju- you know, just to be you know, make sure that I felt this way about it. I listened to it over and over again because I wanted to make sure that I felt this way about it. I hate this album. (laughs) I give it zero stars. It's their worst album. I think it's a total blight on their career. I kind of have a different uh, concept of what constitutes a zero star album. It has to be like this. It sort of has a base level kind of competence to it. It's not like by their own standards. Yes, it's not. It's nothing like their best work, but it's kind of like a workman like genre album it's kind of like it would be fine if somebody else kind of put it out like it's you know it's um i give it two stars That's to me you're... it's a total regression from from what i like about them yeah, so but if you're grading it on the curve of them i guess it's compared to zero but i think as a general album like it's it's kind of just a, a you know it's like a genre album there's also the one there's another uh if you're a jay dilla completist there's a there, that's one of the other highlights although it's not really even a very great song um through your city Kind of has the it's a it's kind of has like the off kilter sort of 
Dilla beat to it. Okay, so moving on to the next year, uh, they farted out a sequel to that record. It was made Art- at the same time, also. They were kind of okay. making all the stuff at the same time. So it was a Back to the Future 1, 2, and 3 deal. Yeah. Um, and this, this one is... Would you say Back to the Future 2? I would say Back to the Future 2. Mosaic Thump is Back to the Future 3. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> There's not a whole lot of difference between these two to me. They were working on them at the same time. It's a I, little better. You could kind of put them in shuffle, and they, you wouldn't notice when one came on or the other, really. Here's the difference to me. There's not one thing that I would pull out of Mosaic Thump to put on discograffiti.com on the playlist. Mm. And Bionics, the sequel, has a few things that I would put in there. Albeit, it's not a great record. Artificial Intelligence Bionics was the second in the planned trilogy. Um, to me, I don't get it. So they were growing and metamorphosizing uh, and you know, changing as a, as a unit. And then suddenly they just stopped sounding like themselves altogether. Well, I don't know. There's not really any like lyrical conceit to this. There's no concept of hang. And you don't always have to do that. You know, that's, that's not something you always kind of have to do. We're kind of used to getting kind of big statements from them. Um, I mean, maybe it's hard to make big statements like that so many times. You know, um, like this seems like very much the same kind of thing as the last one. It's kind of a collection of hip hop tunes. Nothing really much more than that. Um, there's there's a couple of things on here I like the the song with the uh, wonderful Christmas time flip called Simply. Simply is great. That kind of has a fun, goofy kind of. Uh, Simply is Simply is really cool. That, that's like the one wonderful thing Christmas that... time is the most exquisitely annoying song <laughs> ever. But they make it kind of sound uh, appealing. And it, then it the song after Simply is mm-hmm. an interstitial track called uh, Simply, Simply Haven. Right, and that's great. So you'll find both of those yeah. on on the playlist for sure at discography.com. There's also kind of a cool um, oddball novelty track, uh, Peer Pressure. That is also a Jay Dilla production, and the the song it's basically um, "Be Real" from Cypress Hill, peer pressuring the uh, our heroes, our De La heroes, into smoking weed. <laughs> it sounds like they're doing. The it sounds like they're in the control room smoking weed while their <laughs> guest stars are running the show. Yeah. That's really what it sounds like. I, kinda, I do kind of like that one. I mean, it's a it's kind of a bland party record, but it's not as offensive to me as the Mosaic Thump. Mm-hmm. I would give this one one and a half stars. Mm-hmm. I guess also gave this two the same as I gave Mosaic Thump. I find them kind of indistinguishable. So that really was the Sahara for them. Um, they kind of come out of the Sahara, but now they're kind of a, you know, this is like an outcome potential for a unit that, that continues staying together, producing music after they've had crazy high creative career peaks. Yeah. Uh, it's like if the Beatles stayed together throughout the 70s and 80s. So, you know, now it's 2004 Instead of releasing the third in the trilogy, it's an album called The Grind Date. Yeah, this was started, this was not from the same sessions. They had scrapped the third, the proposed third album in the Art Official series that was going to be the Maceo Turntablist album. Um, and then they they set out making this one that it was going to be part three of Artificial Intelligence. But I think when, then, when they got into it, I think they realized they had something a little different. This is a pretty good comeback, I think. It's it's a good record. Um, it's a notably brisker and leaner work than uh, than their previous albums. Uh, lighter guest appearances, uh, f- a total of four guest MCs, and unlike every Della Soul album before it, uh, there's no skits. Yeah, this this one might not be a home run, but it's a solid double off the wall. Um, it, it's I the, my I think it starts off the first two thirds of it are really strong, and then it kind of tails off to me. But um, I like almost everything that's in the that's on the upfront part of the record. You and I agree on the on the standout track. It's the Ghostface track. <laughs> that's he great. comes. Yeah, it's great. I yeah. mean, Ghostface is one of my favorite MCs of all time. I am. Um, if I ever met Ghostface, I would probably just like like break down in tears. <laughs> I find him like endlessly awesome and inspiring. Um, he's great. I on met this. RZA. I, I, I met Raekwon once. I was pretty intimidated. I, you, I, I was I, I I wanted to tell him how much I love him, but I, yeah. I what do you couldn't, say? I couldn't what do you really. Say? I just was like I just kind of waved and was like, "Nice to meet you." <laughs> I was dying inside. <laughs> uh, so this is the this is actually their last official album for thirteen years. Yeah, this has some cool samples on it. It has um, it has a sample from Tales from Topographic Oceans. Did you Does know? Does it really? No, yeah. I didn't know that. So the, tra- the title track, the grind date, is based mostly around a sample from. Uh, 
from Tales the the the, uh, the unlistenable Yes album Tales from Topographic Oceans. Okay, it just gained a star a half a star for that. Yeah, you can hear John Anderson's voice very clearly. La da 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 la da da. Nice. I gotta go back. Um, and then there's another song, uh, Verbal Clap. It's a Jay Dilla track that samples. The Six Wives of Henry VIII by Rick Wakeman. It samples the synth nice, off of that. Nice. And that is also just a really good, um, weird, oddball um, uh, Dilla production. The, the lead-off track, The Future, that's that was produced by uh, Super Dave West, who sort of becomes a uh, pretty key player. He's kind of the, becomes their main producer. Um, he did some work on their on the previous album on Bionics, but then he he produces a bunch on this, and um, he did a lot of good a lot of good work for them. He's kind of a key uh, player in the rest of their run. Um, but uh, I love that first song, "The Future." That's that sounds very like uh, very De La Soulish to me. What do you give this one? I give this three and a half stars. I give it three. Mm-hmm. We're we're about on the same page. Yeah, <clears throat> this is a good one. It's not a great one. But at least you can tell. All right, they're they're back on track. This is sort of a style that I like for them. It's 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 sort of they're back to some creative sampling. There's uh there's there's kind of a lot of color on the album. Um, it's 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 not so kind of monochromatic like the the, the previous few that they yeah, made. Yeah, the, the last two were very monochromatic. And um, there's there's kind of a fun factor to this one that that had been missing from their work for a while. Um, I I I lament that they didn't continue in this vein for a while after that they kind of went into almost sort of uh well not almost they went into basically a hiatus for quite a while they did but they were still producing music they're still making and, stuff and, yeah and, and one of their biggest hits came that next year right. you have right. uh you know they were they guessed it on the gorillas uh feel good inc uh which was a massive hit honestly not my kind of my cup of tea but you know it was a massive hit i'm happy for them i give that song two stars also, not kind of really my thing. I listened to it again. I hadn't heard it in quite a while, and, and I was like, "Oh yeah, this is this ain't, this ain't bad." I, that's more like a three star kind of thing for me. Um, but yeah, in general, not really my kind of. It's sort of like a like a song you'd hear on K Rock or something, kind of like a rock radio song. Yeah, it's not really De La Soul. They're just utilized. Yeah. Uh, and then in two thousand six, uh, you have an album called The Impossible Mission TV Series Part One, which is one of the most heavily labored titles that ever was <laughs> um it's an album of unreleased material it's an odds, it's odds back, and sods odds and sods it, it, it dates back to de la soul is dead uh if you're using uh art official intelligence as a sliding scale criteria it's a classic but uh, otherwise it's kind of just a serviceable smattering of tossed off raps there's nothing that really stands out here uh, nothing on the playlist for diehards only two and a half stars. Well, there are three tracks on this that may be of interest to you. Um, they are outtakes from the uh, classic era. Uh, they're all late. They're all called. It's the what the fuck series. There's what the fuck one, what the fuck two and what the fuck three. Um, one of them is a De La Soul is dead era that heavily samples soul man. Um, another one's from balloon mind state era. Um, those are, um, if you're huge fans of those records, like we are, those are kind of worth giving a spin. Um, I think you're probably, probably aren't going to make the cut of the playlist. Um, I might put, um, what the fuck two on the playlist. (laughs) Hey, you know what? If you want it on, it's on. I might have to veto you. You have it in. It's okay. You don't have to veto me. Okay. If you want it in, it's in. All right. So then three years go by after a fucking album of outtakes. By the way, I give that one two and a half. Two and a half? Yeah. Me too. Uh, we're right on point there. Yeah. So three years go by. Then uh, they release a, a mixtape called Are You In? Do you understand the title, the pun? Uh, yeah. Are You In? Yeah, I know. Okay. Are You In? Question mark, colon, Nike plus original run. Now we're getting into an era of very heavily over-labored <laughs> labor <Album> titles. <laughs> uh, but this is an iTunes exclusive mixtape. Um that's supposed to be just like one track for running. So I was a runner for a while. Um, and I got to say, you know, for a, the thing about Are You In is that uh, it picks up about 12 minutes in, but the first 12 minutes, it's a slow burn. Um, and then at 19 minutes, it really kicks in. Uh, I've run three marathons. 
19 minutes in is about the first time I can imagine running to this music that they've made. Then at 21 minutes, it kicks into this scathing scissor lock groove that transitions back and forth with a cosmic jazz guitar breakdown. Yeah, that I, shit's amazing. Yeah, I acquired this uh, album to listen to for this podcast uh, in, in a format that had the tracks broken up. So that, oh, nice. that, that one is called Pick Up the Pace, and that one is really pretty, pretty, okay, pretty dope. So, okay, so that's probably uh, what we If there's a way to put that one on the playlist, that's worth... Uh, we got to put this that, on the that's, playlist that's because, you know, the last, uh, the second half of Are You In is amazing. Yeah, it's that, that's, that song in particular is kind of a new sound for them. It's kind of this blown out, distorted kind of thing. Um, that one's very cool. Um, the rest of the record is, uh, I mean, kind of like you were saying, it has kind of a rough quality to it. It's kind of has the, like an unfinished kind of mixtape thing to it. Um, I like that one. And there's another one on mine. Um, the one that had the tracks broken up, it's called we OD. It's kind of like a robotic funk sort of thing. There's some cool stuff. You're right. And in the back end of that, in the back end of that, you uh, gotta be patient with this one, but the gems will reveal themselves to you. It's worth the listen. Yeah. I mean, these, these are records that I had no idea existed. Um, until they were flying we, in, under the radar until for we did many this, years. until we, you know, did the research for this episode. I was not really aware that any, that they were still even working in that period. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they were. I mean they had an album of unreleased material, and then three years later a mixtape. So yeah. uh, then next year they did another song with the Gorillas that was not as huge, but in my opinion much better, called Super Fast Jellyfish. It's kind of more loose limbed and just more fun than Feel Good Inc. Uh, it's a and has a great awesome sunshiny chorus to it this one i give five stars i love this song that's a good song i gave it four but yeah it's good all right so uh two years later there's an album called plug one and plug two present dot 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 first serve again with the over labored titles hey they're they're pairing it back a little (laughs) just a tiny bit uh so this is plug one and plug two we have not mentioned are uh the uh alter ego or the the uh Nam de rap of um, of Dave and Pazdanus. R- right. Other order, I think Pazdanus is plug one, right? Uh, I think so, so. Dave is plug two. I, I think so. Yes. Um, so this is in collaboration with a French DJ duo called Chocolate and Khalid. Also, Maceo, not on this one. This is a concept album as well, um, and they're playing other rappers, uh, often quoting De La Soul as an influence. Uh, describing De La Soul from a distance. It's weird. It's a kind of a weird side project. There's a couple decent tracks on it, but it is the opposite of a major work. Yeah, this feels pretty low stakes. Um, it kind of has a sort of a... It's long. It's 68 minutes. It's um, really not worth hearing. There's nothing on it that I would put on the playlist. This is probably my least favorite um, one that the, of the of the whole the whole deal you get I was so giving, it's your I, worst album award this is my worst album award. what do you give it i give it one and a half okay that's pretty low i give it two and a half i didn't find it offensively bad at least they're trying with a concept i'm always a sucker for a good concept yeah although there's no good concept i would describe this. it as a half-baked concept <laughs> that's being very in generous. fact that's exactly what it that's says in my generous. notes <laughs> um so two years later uh, we have a mixtape called Smell the Daisy featuring unreleased Dilla beats and reworked lyrics from De La's catalog. Uh, this is kind of a weird record. We were talking about this on the way over. Uh, it's a bunch of their old songs that are then laid on Dilla beats and kind of recasted, but not in an extremely interesting way, just as a Valentine to to Dilla. Uh, it's a good record, I think. I think I like it better than you, Joe. This seemed like a missed opportunity to me because some of Dilla's beats on this are really amazing. There, there's, some, there's some really nice productions on this. I, I wish they had just uh, written new rhymes for it. I wish they had just you know kind of written new songs. It's a little uh, awkward. They're kind of plugging in some of their classic um, yeah, ego, lyrics, ego some of the classic verses. R- roller and, yeah. skating jam, meme Saturdays, yeah. Oodles of O's, The Magic Number. These songs are all utilized on this. The, the tracks are so good on this. It's, this, 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 this did seem like kind of a missed opportunity. Like I, I think this could have been more than um, than what it was. I, so, you know, some of the uh, there's a tune called Dilla Plugged In. Has that great like you know unquantized rough and ragged, um, but you know insanely funky and human sounding Dilla samples. I mean that was to me that's really Dilla's magic, is that he he uses samples in a way that sound like very human, um, 
the, the just the way he puts the beats together, things are just a little bit off kilter, just have a little bit of that extra kind of lean to them. Um, it's a bunch of them here. Vocabulary spills. That's another really, really cool one with, with, with a you know, really distinct kind of funk to it. Oh, shut up is another one kind of has like that soul Quarians kind of sound really super exaggerated swing. Um, no more, no less. That's another one that has this great, the magic. Like, that's the magic number. Yeah. It has that great kind of bubbly delay happening. It's just this, really this, cool. This sonics. record is kind of crucial because here's the thing. The tent poles that keep one's interest alive in De La Soul post balloon mind state are the grind date, um, the Nike mixtape, and Smell the Daisy. That that has to keep your interest until the year 2016. Right. Yeah, I, I, I like this. It was, in a way, a pleasant surprise. It's like, oh, man, there's all this quality Dilla stuff in here. But it, I, it, it was a little bit disappointing. I, it, I, you know, it is. I give it three stars. I give it three stars as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's a solid record nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2016, you had an EP release that was really just kind of the drum roll for the album itself. Uh, the EP, let's talk about that first, mm-hmm. Joe. For, for your pain and suffering... Mm-hmm. So uh, ultimately, this was just a teaser. I give this one and a half stars. So, do you agree or yes? Okay, I gave it two, but yeah, one and a half, two. It's down in that kind of range. It's right. not not essential, really. So, but they soon um, make it. They soon um, make make some big noise with their next. Seriously. Thing. So, first of all, why don't you talk about the Kickstarter campaign? So this comes at a time in their career where their absence off the streaming services is really kind of starting to um, like diminish their impact in the culture. You can't really get their records. So I mean, you can um, you can at the time you could get them uh, you could get them um, illegally off file sharing services, which we do not recommend. That's a terrible thing to do. <laughs> but. Um, so they, uh, I, you know, I think they were still touring, they, but it was, it was uh, the, the just not being able to really. Have you ever seen them live? I have not. I I've did. Ne- I've never in, seen in them. In 1996, live. I saw them at the Tibetan Freedom Festival. Uh-huh. Uh, stakes as high. Oh just, wait a minute! I, I was there out. with you, so, so I must you have, them, I must yeah. have <laughs> made quite an impression on me. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, they, they're they're kind of at a. It, it's like their their legacy is kind of starting to fade away because streaming is becoming the thing that. That's how young people are listening to music. That's how people in general are listening to music. And they're not, you know, the classic albums are not on the streaming services. And um, also, there's not any kind of reverence toward the right. history, uh, toward cultural history in this generation. Right. So they really do fade away. Yeah. Um, so they started a Kickstarter to, uh, to make their next record. And they raised, I don't know, something like $135,000 in, in a week. And then by the end of the Kickstarter project, they had raised a whopping $600,000. That's nuts. So let me tell you, nobody's at this time is going to be giving... That's like, the, Chi- that's like the Chinese democracy of <laughs> hip-hop Nobody is giving anybody $600,000 to make records anymore. I mean, I don't know, maybe like Not Taylor, Taylor Swift gets like $600,000. Yeah. Yeah, that's an that's a, that's a eye-popping budget. Um, you know, so I don't think when she travels out into the woods to with Aaron Dessner <laughs> that she gets that kind of money. So um, it's they they uh, they they raise all the money. They uh, it, it, they spent quite a lot of time making it, and it's very lush. They spend a lot of it on lush string arrangements, beautiful horns, very full instrumentation. This is a different kind of record from them. This is a this was done. Um, Mostly as a full band project. For everything on this album is fucking amazing, which is crazy because it has been 23 years since they've made a great album at this point. Yeah, well, that's the thing is they really fully pull it off. So they're it's kind of they're in a totally new format, working with um, live musicians mostly. Um, some of the musicians on this record are friends and colleagues of mine. Um, the uh, bass player is kind of Kaveh Rastegar. Worked with Kaveh in a bunch of different projects, and he's like an old friend. Um, he's, he's a very key player on this. Plays some great bass lines. Um, percussionist Davey Chegwidden. I've worked with Davey a bunch. Um, Josh Lopez, guitar player. We played together in Macy Gray's band. It's still playful, like their classic records. Uh, it's like their their most playful record since Balloon Mind State. Yep. <clears throat> but there's also a seriousness underpinning it it's, very, it's a know, very mature 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 work yeah you know? i'd like to you know quote there's a spoken word thing that um uh, that comes at the head of the record and i just want to quote one part of it when do you think it's time to love something the most when it's successful it's when it's reached its lowest and you don't believe in it anymore it's when nobody cares 
That's right. Nobody. So they're addressing the their absence of an audience. Mm-hmm. They're they're you know connecting with the fact that uh, you know they've been out in the Sahara for a long time. On the one hand, yes, they had they were kind of out in the wilderness. They had kind of been forgotten. But then they go to do this project and they raise all that money. So they're people that want to hear them. Right. You know, that, that's a massively successful Kickstarter project. There's literally not a bad song on the entire album. Um, it, there, there's this, there's a real kind of generous spirit to the record. There's a, you know, there's a lot on there. Um, there's a, the, the thing I really like about it, um, that kind of harkens back to their old work is that you get a lot of curveballs. Right. You know, they could get in, in when they're from stakes is high. And then for, you know, a good while after that, you weren't getting those kind of like sonic curveballs, you know, that there's this, that, that were, you, you didn't get that feeling that anything could happen on a record, which, they, you, which you really do on this one. They it's, were masters of the creation of the self-contained universe. Yeah. And, and that it's back. Has, that's it's back been lacking yeah. since Balloon yeah. Mind State. And here yeah. we go. They, again. They, they, they definitely recreated that on this it's record. It's an amazing world to enter into. It's very playful. Uh, it's a long record, but it's deserving of its length. I, you know, was aware of this record when it came out, but I only listened to it, uh, for the sake of discography, and I, you know, I couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah, the string arrangements on this are really beautiful. They're mostly done by a really interesting guy who I was not aware of before we did this. But his name is Maurice Hurd. He's from Detroit, and um, he's kind of this interesting, like musical polymath kind of guy who's done a bunch of different kinds of things over his career. But a really lovely. Uh, these are all none of these strings are sampled. These are all charts that were written and played by. You know, little small uh, string sections. Um, you know, really, really beautiful. A lot of the, a lot of the string stuff. I love this album. I definitely give it five stars. I gave this four and a half. There's a there's, Ouch. A, there's a few <laughs> there's a few things that don't completely click for me. I'm, I don't really like the um, the metal one. The, the Justin. Uh, hey, Justin, yeah, the, the Justin Hawkins, Hawkins one. one. That one's I'm, I'm not really that into that one. I get it, but um, you got You got to admire them for the daring behind that one. Look again, four and a half. You know, that, it's that, fucking that ain't pro- bad. dude. Prog rap. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean this the uh, drawn. That's another incredible, beautiful song. It's kind yeah. of built around this. Uh, there's, it's kind of built around the spine of this like a little plucked arpeggio figure, and there's the atmosphere. It's a really beautiful uh, production. So what's crazy? This is a really inspired album. It is. It is. And what's what's crazy to me is you know now it's 2021, so soon to be 2022, and <clears> that they, they it's fi- five years since they've had a record. There's they have come out with. Uh, they've guested on two songs in 2019. So it's like that, um, which is uh, Carl Thomas, whoever the fuck that is. That one I give three and a half stars. You give that four. I like that song. And then uh, more importantly, uh, in, in 2019 as well, DJ Shadow off his album Our Pathetic Age came out with a song called Rocket Fuel, which is a sick tune, their best single in years, and yet again proving with the right producer, these guys' collective mojo can still be unlocked. I give that song five stars. That's five stars for me, too. I would love to hear them do more stuff with Shadow. Um, But that brings us up to date. That's it. I mean, it's been five years since their last album. It was an amazing record. I'm fully on board as a fan of De La Soul again because I'm convinced they can still kick me in the nuts with their beautiful soundscapes. Yeah. I mean, longevity is a tough thing in any genre. You know, hip hop's no exception. So uh, now we do our top three records. Joe, what would yours be? Well, I have a feeling these are probably going to be the same for us. Do we count these down backwards? We can definitely do that. Do it backwards. At number three, uh, I have Balloon Mind State. Me too. Number two, I have Three Feet High and Rising. Holy shit, me too. Do I stop and do a long distance dedication here, or do I just go on to number one? Do whatever you'd like. All Look right. into your heart. Okay. Uh, number one is um, De La Soul is Dead. I have the same top three as you, my friend. What's your least favorite record? It's that plug one, plug two thing, right? Yeah, I mean, yes, I'd say that's like that one I, I scored the lowest, um, and I had the least amount of good time listening to. Um, so yeah, I drank that one as the lowest. Again, it, that's it's it's sort of a mixtape, low stakes kind of thing. So you know. So anyway, go to discograffiti.com. Make sure that you check out our playlist uh, concurrently because this is the best way to ingest the music that comes from these artists. It's all there for you, pre-plucked, so you don't have to do the dirty work. Some bonus stuff there in the show notes. Um, we're going to link to a couple of good articles, some YouTube videos. 
be some extra uh, reading and viewing if you want to dive even deeper than this. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And uh, definitely, you know, we have a ton of upcoming episodes that are going to be very exciting. So tune in next Monday or better yet, immediately because we do best on binge listening. Yeah. Binge it all. We'll see you next time on Disco Graffiti. Graffiti.